This is HP for Gamers, a podcast designed for gamers, by gamers, to understand how we can maximize our health and performance in the world of esports. We want to provide HP in the form of knowledge to gamers all over the world. Welcome. Hello, hello. Welcome, everyone, to a special episode of HP for Gamers. Today, now we're not only answering some of the common questions that we've received about esports, health, and performance, but we're also we have a very important announcement to make. We have a very special guest on our show, as you can see in his very clear picture. It's a it's going to be a huge landmark in the world of esports medicine, uh, but basically. One HP is super excited to announce that we have added future Dr. Elliot Smithson as an intern to One HP, and he's going to be first to participate in a six-month internship program designed very much like the physical therapy orthopedic residency. That's going to help him develop some clinical reasoning as well as understand a little more about how to help the gamers, the teams. For esports medicine and performance, and this program is going to be the foundation for the future, for a lot of courses that we want to have for other physical therapists as well as other healthcare practitioners working in this space. So welcome, welcome, Elliot. We are so glad to have you on and to be a part of One HP. Super excited to be here, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on, and thanks for letting me、uh, come alongside in this journey. Of course. Uh, why don't you start by telling us a little more, or telling our audience a little more about yourself? So my name is Elliot.、Um, I'm I've been a gamer for most of my life,、uh, starting with the early days,、uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, working my way through a lot of the classic classic consoles, the PS2,、uh, the Nintendo 64, the GameCube,、uh, the Xbox, the first Xbox, the Xbox 360. After that.、Um, Really、uh, playing all of the classics back when、uh, everyone was playing in、uh, people's basements with multiple TVs set up, CRTs, and you've got the LAN going on, and you're yelling at your buddies for screen peeking stuff like that.、Um, and then I jumped on the Fortnite bandwagon because、uh, I kind of got tired of、uh, having to play on a very rigorous schedule and not having any leeway as far as when. When I was allowed to be on,、uh, when I started、uh, my graduate studies at、uh, the University of Saint Augustine, my doctorate of physical therapy program,、um, I was kind of new to shooters,、uh, other than my experience playing Halo back in the day, Halo One, Two, a little bit of Three. But anyhow,、uh, I got involved with that. So so involved, I decided to start streaming. And when、uh, Fortnite Creative came out, I really dived into.、Uh, The aspect there of making maps and、uh, seeing what I can do for the community to help them improve their gameplay. So I mean, as most of you know, Fortnite is a battle royale game with a storm that shrinks, and it can take 20 plus minutes to really get to the meat of what's、uh, the interesting part of the game, the scrim, where you have、uh, 30, 40 people in a 10 by 10、uh, zone area, and slowly shrinks and moves, and you're dealing with managing patient or、uh, player position. And your position on the map while、uh, making strategic shots and things like that.、Um, so I really、uh, wanted to get more involved with trying to train、uh, that late game, that late game、uh, scenario. So I started making、uh, these zone wars maps. So you actually、uh, compete with、uh, 16 other people on these creative maps. You can play games back to back to back, and it really just simulates that really late game. 
uh, experience that's kind of hard to come by in the regular, the regular game mode. And I've had a lot of people uh, say they've had success uh, with the Zone Wars maps in qualifying for World Cup, uh, the semifinals and things like that, uh, and even making some money on the side from uh, playing, playing my maps. So that's really exciting to hear. And uh, if you guys are interested in checking out uh, my streaming activities for Fortnite, you can head on over to Twitch. Uh, my channel is 1HP underscore Medic. And yeah, come join us sometimes. Yeah, we'll have that all in the show notes. So we know with that that you're obviously a very big gamer. Um, but what about professionally? You know, tell us a little more about your background uh, with healthcare or maybe athletic training or any, anything that you've done in, in the past that, you know, led you right, to right, where you right. are now. Yeah, so as for my career, I'm a board certified athletic trainer. I finished my undergraduate at UCF. Uh, go Knights. Uh, in 2013. Um, from there, I took a job at Disney. I worked there for about a year before I went to grad school. Um, at Disney, I spent a lot of time working with performing artists, whether it be stunt professionals, uh, motorcyclists, puppeteers, uh, dancers, gymnasts, the whole gambit of uh, professional performers that you see uh, working entertainment at uh, the theme parks. Um, I was working with them and I did learn a lot and it was a really great experience but then I moved on to my graduate studies at Marshall University where we opened up a program for wellness in the performing arts so providing injury prevention management services for performing artists and that's where I really got my hands wet working specifically with musicians and I really like the population of music musicians because it really does mirror kind of the uh, competitive gamer in a way. They're spending long hours with repetitive movements, um, trying to perfect their craft in the same way that gamers do. And you see a lot of the same types of wrist and hand injuries, as well as the neck and back injuries that can kind of uh, come forth as a result of that uh, extensive practice. And there is a competitive uh, component as well. If you're uh, competing for seats in an orchestra or you're competing against other musicians in competitions with judges and the like, um, it really does take on a competitive atmosphere of its own. So a lot of people don't uh, credit the performing arts of having this uh, sport mentality and don't think that they're very similar, but I kind of tend to disagree with that. I really do think there's a lot of parallels there, especially for preparation and recovery and all of these things that we see in uh, the sports medicine world. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a little different too, right? In terms of the shows and all the performing um all the things that they have to do on a regular season, um, they might not have a chance to rest. So you have to take those kind of things into consideration when you're treating them. And obviously with gaming, it's pretty similar for a game like CSGO, where there doesn't really seem to be a season, although I think it's gotten better over the past couple of years with teams selectively choosing not to attend events. You can literally attend millions of events every week if you wanted to. Um, and that's why it's really important for us as healthcare practitioners to to really understand that. So I think that experience in itself, working with the performing arts and, and really understanding a strenuous schedule, you know, even like Cirque du Soleil, the, you really have to take into uh, account what they're dealing with, I guess mentally too, if they're unable to perform or if they're unable to dance, then that can also affect how how long they uh, can potentially recover 
but we can dig into that, I'm sure, in a lot of different content. So yeah, um, after I finished my master's, I decided to go back and uh, get an EMT certification just to kind of bone up on my uh, emergency medicine skills. I feel like working with performers for two years at Marshall kind of uh, made them a little bit rusty. But after going back and doing the refresher and really seeing how uh, things work on the ambulance and all of that, it was really really inspiring and I feel like I learned a lot. So I'm really happy that I did that and hope to use those skills uh, moving forward some more as well. Um, but yeah, after that, I decided to go back and get my doctorate of physical therapy. Uh, I chose the University of St. Augustine for Health Sciences based on their extensive work with uh, manual therapy and their philosophies related to that. Uh, it just kind of means that they use a lot of manipulation techniques to really make uh, intentional changes in tissue. Um, they do a lot of hands-on stuff with patients. I was really, uh, really looking for something like that um, in a physical therapy program. So I settled on that and decided to move forward. And now I'm in my last uh, last home stretch here. I've got two more internships that I'm working on currently uh, before I graduate. The one that I'm currently on is at an Exos in uh, South Florida. And for those of you guys that don't know, Exos is kind of a physical therapy, sports performance kind of uh, organization. Uh, we work with a lot of athletes. Uh, they do a lot of stuff with the NFL Combine as well out in uh, Arizona and California. So I've been learning a lot there about returning athletes to full participation, strength and conditioning, all kinds of uh, pearls that we take from the traditional sports world. I'm thinking about how I can apply them to esports and uh, really what we're doing here. Why did you choose physical therapy after you know you already finished your ATC? You already had been working in the space um, for a while. What made you so, go back? So to athletic training therapy? is a is a great profession um we're the guys on the sideline of football fields and we're doing the concussion evaluations uh and we're doing some rehab in um settings uh with sports athletes and there's really just this glass ceiling that exists because you're never going to own anything as an athletic trainer uh, you're always going to be reporting to a physical therapist and I really saw that as an opportunity for me to grow myself professionally. And one day I wanted to actually be um, running things more or less uh, or be an autonomous practitioner. Uh, physical therapists have direct access in many states. So that means that they can see patients without physician's referral. And that's not something that you have in athletic training. You're always going to be working underneath a uh, physician's protocol and only doing what they are allowing you to do uh, through that. So I really saw a glass ceiling and wanted to kind of break that. And I figured the only way to do that was to get a doctorate in physical therapy. Although there are doctorate of athletic training programs that are starting to crop up more and more, um, but not well fleshed out yet. And I figured I might as well diversify as well. So what are your goals then or with 1HP and what are the things you, you really want to accomplish, you know, working in this space, working in esports, working in gaming as a therapist or a physical therapist or an ATC? So esports is such a new field. It's a blossoming industry here. And I really believe that as medical professionals, we have a really, really hot opportunity to make a positive change in this industry and really lay some of the framework that'll move forward for the next 100, 200 years. If we can instill practices, uh, kind of a culture of wellness and make that a for, uh, foreground um, thought in people's mind 
uh, when they think of esports and what professional esports athletes are doing to prepare themselves for competition, keeping themselves healthy, and how that ultimately improves their performance. I really think if we can change the culture to kind of think about these things more, it will set the entire uh, industry up for success later down the road when these infrastructures are in place and we really will have an opportunity to make the positive changes and help improve people's performance as well as their health. Well said. I mean, that's right in line with what we want. We're trying to do, right? It, it's so much, so much of esports and so much of gaming and health is that we tend to think of, you know, our pain or our, how we're doing as more of an afterthought. And really, our big goal with One HP is that we want to make sure that we're the whole image of what a gamer is can be changed, and we can do so much more than then sit for eight to 10 hours on end, take, not really paying attention to what we're eating, not really moving. Um, we can do a lot more than that. And, and so many of us are already doing a lot more than that. And I, I think really it is at a tipping point and as healthcare professionals make a big impact in, in what everyone else sees uh, when they see a gamer. So I'm totally right. in agreement Well, gaming with that. has always been this uh, like kind of underground phenomenon that kind of had some unhealthy habits kind of built into its its architecture right from the, the start. And I think as we're seeing the shift towards more organized competitive play, I think some of those habits just naturally have to die off if you start to see people trying to think about what they can do to min-max their performance at the highest levels. And I really think it's gonna come down to who is uh, who is taking the time to uh, work on things like their sleep hygiene, their exercise routine, their mental health. Uh, I think you're going to see the people that are actually doing that kind of stratify themselves away from the rest of the pack as time progresses here. So I'm excited for it. I'm really yeah. excited for it. Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing that, especially with an uh, organization like Astralis. Um, and then obviously, not to brag, but Immortals is doing it with myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, plug. I, I feel that all of us have the same disadvantage right now in esports and that no one, well, not no one, there's a, a small population of people really conscious about how to approach their health holistically or how to approach their performance holistically. And that's why it might seem so hard for so many of us to want to make the jump to try to change these, th these habits of ours, right? Because the pros that we look up to Half of them might not even adopt any of these healthy habits. And that's sort of this big mental hurdle that a lot of us have when someone like myself or someone like you speak to them about, hey, maybe you should consider improving your sleep or maybe you should consider eating a little more healthy or being conscious about what snacks can actually affect your, your focus or affect your energy levels throughout the day. The number one thing that is said towards us is, well, faker or well x person doesn't really do it why do i need to or hey this pro player is is overweight he's still one of the top players in the world why should i do this and i think the number one reason is that we just don't realize where we are in the state of esports in terms of where these players are at we're all uh, a little bit behind in terms of understanding how we can better ourselves by implementing a lot of what we know to be beneficial for us from things like tradi traditional sports or um, either other disciplines like air traffic controllers. So yeah. now we're gonna now we're gonna be moving into the health game facts portion 
of the episode where we answer a lot of common questions that we get either through direct interaction with some gamers that have pain or through our streams or through our social media just any questions that you guys have had about your health and your performance and one of the most common questions that we we get and we answer all the time is the question of the vertical keyboard and the question is that is it okay for me to have a vertical keyboard position they also followed it up with i heard it can be bad for your wrists and i want to say that overall we need to we need to settle this because this question consistently comes up um, to me every single time i speak to either a, a healthcare practitioner coming into the space or uh, just a gamer that has had a lot of pain that is playing a fps and they asked me this question so i want to i want to just clarify it it is okay to have a vertical keyboard position because what's more important aside from how we orient our keyboard is what our wrists are doing or what, how our wrists are positioned while we're using our keyboard. So in the same way that we can use our mouse or if you are talking about traditional sports like holding a baseball bat, we can hold it in different ways. We can use our keyboard and mouse in different ways. And the thing that we want to pay attention to first and foremost is what is the angle at our wrist when we're using the keyboard in a vertical position. And I want to always just say first, we need to keep it in neutral, right? Like in Smash, we want to take or take into consideration the neutral. And by neutral, I just mean that if we're looking at it from above, we're trying to keep our wrist centered in this way so that the center of your wrist is in alignment with your middle knuckle. And the reason why we want to do that is that it allows our muscles to work in optimal position. And if we don't do that, it can often cause our muscles to be in a shortened position that can cause them to fatigue more quickly. And that can cause more stress on the tendons that we use a lot. And that's one of the reasons why we do deal with pain. So it's still okay to use a keyboard in a vertical position, but you have to look at how your wrists are angled from the top-down perspective first. And of course, I'm not just saying that it's only the wrist position that is important. There's a whole bunch of other things that we have to consider, like are you playing for 24 hours in a row or do you exercise regularly so that you can handle the X amount of hours that you're playing without causing it to stress the muscles and tendons that you're using while you're WASDing all over the place. So just to review, it's okay to have the vertical wrist position or vertical keyboard as long as you are paying attention to your wrist position but additionally you want to take into account everything else you want to make sure you're considering your lifestyle you want to make sure you're considering whether or not you exercise regularly to work on the conditioning of your wrists and hands so that you can actually utilize this position because there's some benefits to actually utilizing a vertical keyboard what maybe you can speak to some of those benefits or add any of your thoughts, Elliot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are some benefits to a vertical keyboard for sure. You have more mobility of your thumb. Uh, you're able to hit uh, a couple more of the keys that are a little bit lower on the keyboard that you typically wouldn't uh, be able to reach playing in a uh, horizontal configuration. Uh, my big thing with the vertical keyboard, kind of like you said, is that you have to look at what your wrist's neutral is. And everybody is different. Uh, the biomechanics um, 
of the wrist kind of involve uh, the bones of the forearm as well as the hand bones uh, and then all the uh, the tendons and the ligaments that connect them. Um, so for those of you guys that are not super familiar with anatomy, here's a quick lesson. Um, so you've got your forearm bones here. This one being your radius, this one being your ulna. There's a factor called ulnar variance and that can kind of change the size or the length of the ulna in relationship to the radius. So if one is sitting higher than the other or the other one's sitting higher than this one, it's either a positive or a negative ulnar variance and that kind of changes the natural position of your hand. So it's something you wanna kind of be aware of uh, just if you look at your hand out in its most neutral relaxed position, does it kind of lean one way or the other way? And if it's leaning away from the position that you're kind of tilting into a vertical keyboard, maybe try a different configuration. Uh, there are some people that can uh, have an ulnar variance that allows them to naturally sit in uh, a position of uh, what's called radial deviation while you're on that keyboard, um, which uh, makes it less uh, compressive on their uh, tissues over time. But there's really no way to just know that unless you take the time to actually look at the anatomy uh, that is specific to you. Um, and also, if you're going to play vertical keyboard, I have some... Uh, thoughts on the best way to try to do that. Um, so there you can see on the right hand side in that photo what kind of a neutral wrist looks like. Uh, and that's using kind of an oblique angle of the vertical keyboard. So that is uh, what I would try first if you're going to try to work your way into using a vertical keyboard is that right hand photo. Uh, the photo on the left really shows an extreme angle of what we call radial deviation again. Um, that can cause a lot of uh, compressive uh, forces on the, the thumb side of your hand and a lot of tension forces on the pinky side of your hand. And I really think that uh, anybody playing with this kind of uh, compressed wrist at that very stark, uh, like 20 degree angle there is really doing themselves a disservice as far as long-term play goes. If you're going to insist on playing like that, you need to be taking frequent breaks, you need to be stretching, you need to be strengthening, you need to be doing all of the prep work uh, that is going to go into allowing you to kind of normalize the forces that are being applied to your wrist uh, long-term. But there are solutions to this. Uh, a lot of people that play vertical keyboard have kind of come to the conclusion that a smaller keyboard, kind of like a ducky, is a better solution uh, than using a full-length keyboard. If you have a keyboard that's roughly the size of that red box there, uh, you can play with your uh, shoulder in what's called internal rotation, and you can play with the keyboard uh, basically touching your stomach there. Uh, so your wrist is in more of a nice, neutral, relaxed position, as you can see in that picture. There is still some uh, radial deviation going on there, but it's nowhere near as extreme as that angle there. And you still have the functionality of using your thumb to kind of hit some of those, those extra keys uh, that you normally wouldn't have the opportunity to do uh, with a horizontal keyboard configuration. Um, exactly. But yeah, I think... Uh, that's worth looking into if you're gonna to try to do this. You're gonna to need to put some kind of a towel roll underneath your elbow because it's no longer going to sit uh, flat on your armrests or desk, depending on how uh, you have your configuration set up. And you're just gonna to need to take some extra time to do some more shoulder stretching as well because that constant position of internal rotation uh, causes a lot of stress at what we call the uh, subacromial space. And that can cause what uh, people refer to as uh, subacromial impingement syndrome and that can become a real problem for gamers who are well shoulder movers actually yeah yeah especially violinists or anyone that does any overhead movement 
uh, during the day, which many of us do if we're going to go grab some water and have to grab a cup overhead. So definitely we need to pay attention to not only our wrist position, but also our shoulder position. And right, exactly what you said, we have to consider everything else. We, we have to realize that if we assume this position, we're going to be in this position of internal rotation for our shoulder. So that's not necessarily a bad position, but it's, it's not a great position to sit in for hours on end. So we definitely need to take enough breaks so that we can allow our chest to stay in an open position that we often recommend for those to have better posture. Um, so just to review, we, the first question was to ask, is it okay if you have a vertical keyboard position? And the answer is, like everything else in life is that it depends, right? Because everyone's wrist is a little different. You might have a slight increase in ulnar variance, or you might have a slight decrease in ulnar variance. And depending on what you do on a daily basis in terms of how long you're playing, do you exercise? Do you have a lot of internal rotation? Do you have a, a ducky keyboard? Do you have a split keyboard? These are all things that we have to take into consideration when asking this question. But I would say that as sort of a guidance, the first thing you can look at is, hey, is my wrist in this neutral position? Is it just like Elliot showed on the right? And then second, I would ask, hey, is am I playing for more than four hours without taking a break? Because regardless of, of whether or not you're in an optimal posture or if you have the right ergonomics, if you're sitting for eight to 10 hours of and you're playing with the perfect posture, you're still gonna be putting your muscles and tendons and your body through a lot of stress. And that's gonna increase your risk of dealing with injuries at your wrist and hand. So that's another important question to ask. And then of course, considering, are you exercising? Are you doing things that will allow you to, as I always say, increase the size of your heat meter, which typically, which basically represents your endurance and how much you can handle when it comes to playing and how much your muscles can handle. And uh, for those that don't know what I'm talking about, I'll reference the link uh, in the show notes so you guys can understand sort of our biggest framework for understanding gaming injuries and, and health. So the second question that, that we've, we have for us today is about the monitor. And Elia, why don't you, why don't you tell them what, what this question is? Because I think it's one of the questions that you got during your stream. Right. So I get this uh, question during my stream almost every night now, actually. Uh, and people keep asking me if I'm playing with colorblind mode on, and it's a big Deuterra nope. Um, I'm using the blue light setting uh, from Windows. It's actually called nightlight mode. Uh, and on Apple, it's called the night shift mode. So yeah, basically the whole rationale for turning my screen this nice shade of yellow at 9 p.m. is that I'm trying to limit my blue light consumption. Uh, during the hours of 9 to 11 p.m. because that's when most of the melatonin is produced in your brain. Uh, and for those of you guys that don't know, I think a lot of people are familiar with taking melatonin supplements um, to help them sleep at night. But melatonin is a hormone uh, that is released uh, and it affects your brain uh, and it regulates your sleep cycles. Uh, but it also has a lot of other functions as well um, on your circadian rhythms. And those are just kind of your sleep-wake cycles. And those rhythms really do have a lot to do with uh, other systems, not just your sleeping, like cardiovascular, metabolic, immune. Um, and also uh, things like your mood and cognitive function can be super 
uh, affected by uh, disturbances of these cycles. And for those of you guys that uh, don't know, cognitive function and mood are very uh, important for playing uh, at your best performance as well as avoiding getting tilted uh, while you're playing and decreasing your performance. So very, very uh, important for uh, gamers, especially those that are trying to be competitive to make sure that their sleep cycles are, are working properly and that they're uh, not compromising their health in that way. But yeah, so let's get a little bit more into the science of what blue light does. Blue light actually uh, is associated between the hours of 9 and 11 p.m. with affecting uh, total sleep time, uh, decreased sleep quality, and more waking throughout the night. Um, so really the best recommendations that we have is to use this uh, night shift mode or these gaming glasses that can be purchased that are kind of this yellow tint and kind of make you look like Dr. Disrespect a little bit to uh, limit your blue light consumption when you're about to go to bed at night. Uh, there's also modes for your phone that you can turn on that do the same thing. Uh, that's a big source of blue light as well when it comes closer to bedtime. But blue light is not all bad. Uh, there are benefits to using it during the day especially waking up in the morning, I noticed that if I look at my phone uh, for about 15 minutes, as soon as I open my eyes in the morning, it really kind of helps me feel more alert and awake and ready to tackle the day. Uh, so blue light actually does improve your alertness and awareness and uh, it reduces your daytime sleepiness. So it does have its uses. If you are going to be in a position where you have to play uh, late at night for some reason and you do need uh, your performance, you wouldn't want to use this during a tournament or anything like that because it kind of will uh, induce uh, some of that melatonin production and kind of uh, limit your performance in that way. So it's all about understanding why uh, things affect different systems of your body and leveraging them to your advantage. But I think for the most most part uh gamers could definitely use with a better sleep cycle and uh maintaining a healthier consumption of blue light especially late at night i think i think the number one thing that we can take from what you said is that it's just important for them to understand themselves right and what you're using technology for so again the question was why does your monitor color changes not change at night and does it help with anything and the bottom line was that it changes because we wanted to minimize the amount of blue light that is going into our eyes and preventing the development or preventing the production of melatonin that can help us sleep better. So big question number three. Uh, this is the third question that we wanted to go over today. And that is a question about mouse sensitivity, right? And how does it affect us or how does it affect wrist pain? And this is obviously a, a very common question that both of us have have received not only on your stream but with me every single day that i work with either the pro players or players that i've i've been working directly with to address their wrist pain and i would absolutely say yes if you if you have pain in your wrist you should consider whether or not there was a recent change in your sensitivity sensitivity because what you're doing or how much sensitivity you have and how much DPI you have on your mouse can directly affect how much musculature you're using in your form. So if you think about it, if you have a really low DPI, like 200 DPI or a setting game sensitivity of two or one, you need to move your mouse a lot more to cover the same amount of distance that you would have to, that you would have to move if you had higher DPI, like 800 DPI and maybe eight sensitivity. You would barely have to move your mouse to 
to move a certain distance virtually in your game. So if you think about it, the more, the lower your sensitivity is, the more that you'll have to use your muscles. But that doesn't necessarily mean that low sensitivity is bad. Right? We can definitely have the right amount of endurance to handle the lower sensitivity type of uh, settings that a lot of FPS and a lot of Overwatch and a lot of Fortnite players tend to have. I would say there's so many more considerations uh, than just the sensitive sensitivity when it comes to wrist pain. That is definitely not the first thing that comes to mind. If someone comes to me and says, hey, Matt, I have some wrist pain. I don't directly go to sensitivity, although that is one of the many things that I consider when when they do tell me that it's with their mouse hand, right? Because there's other factors that we have to think about, whether or not their hand to mouse size ratio is uh, is optimal. What is the size of their mouse? How heavy is their mouse? What grip are they using? And that in itself, in addition to things like posture, ergonomics, how much are they playing? Again, we're, we're touching back on these same topics, right? We have to always approach pain in gaming from really a zoomed out perspective. We can't just focus on one thing, which I feel that a lot of gamers currently like to focus on in that, hey, I just, if I'm just changing my sensitivity, that's gonna make everything better. And sometimes it does, um, but it doesn't, it might not necessarily address the root cause of an issue, which even though you change your sensitivity and the pain might go away, you might not have the right amount of conditioning for your wrists and hands in general to tolerate the amount that you're playing. So I know that was probably a very long answer to this one question about sensitivity, but I think it's really important that we consider all these different factors when it comes to using the mouse, right? So just to review, if you do have any pain at your wrist, I would absolutely think about if there's been any recent changes to how you how you use your mouse or your sensitivity. That could be something that you can think about first. And it is something that, you know, I've been asking more with uh, some of the players that I've worked with because they've come to tell me that they have changed their sensitivity to like a one very recently with uh, this Overwatch player that I work with. He told me that he changed his sensitivity to basically a one, keeping his DPI the same and wasn't sure why his pain got a lot worse or wasn't sure why he developed some wrist pain. And um, that was one of the first questions I asked was, did you make any changes recently for your mouse or your setup? And he had told me about the sensitivity. So that was definitely one of the contributing factors, although that wasn't the only thing I asked about. Um, I know that was, again, a, a long answer, but do you have anything that you wanted to, to add to that, Elliot? Yeah, I really think uh, there's a lot of people that want to uh, narrow in on one thing that they've convinced themselves is causing the problem. And we see this a lot across the, um, the medical spectrum, whether it be exercise or nutrition or what have you. Uh, people get really laser beam focused on this one thing that they're just absolutely convinced is causing their pain or absolutely convinced they need to change to improve their performance. And you really do have to look at it more holistically than super specifically. Yes, you need to get into the specifics of all these things, but you need to see how they interplay with each other. Um, 
I have a lot of people on my stream asking me, hey, what's the best sense to play with for Fortnite? And I tell them there there is no best sense for Fortnite. There's no best sense for anything. It, it There's a hundred factors that go into it. Not a hundred, but I mean, I'm hyperbole. There's a lot of factors that go into it uh, that, that really kind of will change the course of how you need to adjust that that one variable to really uh, either increase the amount of movement that you're getting based on your specific uh, architecture of your hand or decrease the movement that you have when you're aiming, if you're using your entire arm, etc., etc. And I really think that there's a lot of other factors that are completely overlooked and people just get really focused on this sense question. Um, like you mentioned, there's different grips available for the mouse. And when I bring that up, people have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, I'd say I play claw on the mouse and they go, what, what, what's claw on the mouse? There's only claw on the controller. Are you playing claw on the controller? I'm like, no, 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 no. There's just claw on the mouse. And people have never taken the time to actually look at what kind of, uh, mouse is actually beneficial for, for their hand type and play style. Um, Claw on the controller, by the way, uh, is, a, is a whole other can of worms, and we will definitely discuss that at a later date. Um, but yeah, you have uh, basically three different types of uh, configurations for your mouse here, and they're all based on mouse size and play style. So you're using the more palm grip where more of your hand is touching the mouse. If you have a mouse with a lot of buttons on the side that you need to have more control over to be able to hit those with a thumb, or if you're playing on a lower sensitivity and you're moving your entire arm, uh, to control that mouse, you're, you're going to want more of this palm grip uh, to really kind of maximize that motion that you're getting. Uh, for claw grip, uh, it's kind of a balance between the palm and the fingertip. Uh, you're able to increase your DPI a little bit and you're sacrificing um, some of the arm and uh, wrist movement, but you're gaining more uh, movement at the fingertips and a little bit more dexterity and you can play on a higher sensitivity because you don't have to make these large sweeping changes because it's difficult to move from a large sweeping change into a small uh micro adjustment um and then there's the fingertip grip which is almost no arm and shoulder movement and all uh just very fine adjustments with the fingertips and playing on very high sensitivities because that's controlling your rotation speed as well as your aiming and um for the the people in my chat wondering um, about Fortnite specifically, I think Claw is the best way to go with a moderate sensitivity because you are balancing the skills of aiming and building, which requires a ton of rotational movement, uh, way more than any other FPS game is going to require on a more consistent basis. Um, so I think uh, finding the perfect balance for you and what works for you in your hand uh, is going to be critical there. Um, but yeah, there's no one size fits all solution. So it's difficult to give out blanket statements. I mean, you can give out blanket statements, but they're not going to be helpful. Uh, you really do need to get into uh, the specifics of what each esports athlete is uh, trying to accomplish and look at this entire panel of, uh, of factors that can affect what that sensitivity number needs to be increased or decreased by, because it's just one piece of an entire puzzle of variables that we can adjust. So yeah, absolutely absolutely so let's review right we had three big questions today the first question being the vertical keyboard and our verdict was that yes it's okay to have the vertical keyboard as long as you number one just think about where your wrists are positioned and then two you can realize that there's some benefits in terms of performance that a vertical keyboard can help you achieve 
but there's the trade-off of it, it might potentially increase uh, the tension or the amount of mu activity that your muscles have to undergo if your wrists are positioned poorly and you really have to just consider for yourself and realize uh, where you are in terms of the wrist position as well as what you're doing with your schedule and also again if you are exercising regularly to make sure that your wrists and hands can handle the vertical keyboard position um, but again you want to always check your wrists and make sure they're neutral first the second thing we went over was why does Elliot's monitor color change at night and it's because he wants to limit the amount of blue light exposure that will prevent the production of melatonin that will allow us to have better sleep. There are things like flux.io, which again, we'll have links to in the show notes. There's the uh, multiple different types of applications on Apple, on Windows that you can utilize to help change the shade of your screen. Yeah, nightlight. And uh, that you can do to limit the amount of blue light entering your eyes and again affecting your your potential sleeping patterns and your circadian rhythms which uh, we we did talk a lot about in our past episode about sleeping and travel so if you guys want to refresh a little bit about that you guys can check out that episode and lastly we talked about if you should change your sensitivity if you have wrist pain and um, I think the better way to look at it is, hey, there's a lot of things that can affect our wrist pain. Yes, sensitivity is one of them, but there's things like grip style. There's things like how, how long we're playing. There's things like conditioning of our wrists. There's things like ergonomics that can all play a role into wrist pain. And for a general tip, what we can do is if you have wrist pain, ask yourself the question first. Did you make any changes recently to your mouse and DPI? If the answer is yes and you lowered it, then you might want to then that might have been the contributing factor to your pain but if not you can think about the, all the other things we talked about how do you hold the mouse do you exercise regularly what's your gaming schedule like you don't want to play for 20 hours in a row there's if you take it in those step in that stepwise pattern we can you can better figure out for yourself what is causing your wrist pain and of course uh, there are people like myself and Elliot and Caitlin that you can reach out to to just learn a little more about your your body how it works so that you we we can help you figure out how to better manage your pain but in general if you do have wrist pain maybe look at your sensitivity first and then consider everything else treat your health and performance holistically and that pretty much wraps it up for us today uh, again i'm so happy that elliot's going to be joining us for all the awesome projects content uh, maybe future team activity things. Um, there's really an endless amount of things that we're going to be able to do together in this space. And uh, I I'm so happy that you're you're joining us here at 1HP and um, really looking forward to what we're both going to be able to contribute together to this space and how we can help our, our audience play more and hurt less. So thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And again, we'll leave all the notes in the blog article that we always accompany each episode with all the show notes uh thank you guys so much and uh let's let's welcome elliot again thanks everyone thank you so much matt i appreciate it and yeah we out, fam. all right we out